0: traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone.
1: Rod Sailing was close to the age that he could leave high school, the USA was fighting in World War II. Now Sailing was very eager to enlist and he almost actually did it before he graduated from high school until he was talked out of it by a teacher. So he did actually graduate but the morning after he enlisted. After his training he served in the 511th Parachute Infantry Regiment of the 11th Airborne Division. Now Serling did actually see combat in the war, he, w- he was, like I say, an eager soldier, but being Jewish, he was disappointed that his regiment was sent to fight the Japanese instead of the Germans. Now it was said of Serling that he didn't have the wits or aggression to be a good field soldier, and at one point he was actually moved to the 511th Division's Demolition Platoon, which was nicknamed the Death Squad because of its high mortality rate. So we did see death on a regular basis and there is a famous story about a time that he was standing talking to his friends and one of his friends was in the middle of telling a story and ended up being decapitated by a food crate that fell from above. That man's name was Melvin Levy and we'll hear his name read from a list in the episode later on in the episode that we'll be discussing tonight. So Rod Sailing was actually wounded several times in the war and he did show a lot of bravery too on one occasion in Manila The US was systematically clearing the occupied streets and as they were doing so the locals would throw parties in honor of the soldiers and at one of these parties it it ended up being attacked by the Japanese and Apparently sailing went into the line of fire to rescue a street performer, so he was a very brave soldier as well. And when he left the service, he left with a purple heart, a bronze star, and the Philippines Liberation Medal. But despite going into war with that gung-ho attitude and the, the, the desire to make a difference, the war did take its toll on him and... Those experiences affected him for the rest of his life, and as we'll see several times in the twilight zone, it greatly influenced his work too. And he once said, I was bitter about everything, and at a loose end when I got out of the service. I think I turned to writing to get it off my chest. I think the episode that we'll be discussing tonight definitely comes from that war-weary place inside Rod Sailing. But he took the title from a Shakespeare play, Richard II, despite it being credited in the episode, to Richard III. It wasn't. It was Richard II. And these words are spoken by King Richard II himself. You'll forgive me, I don't really have a tongue for Shakespeare, but it goes like this. It says, Tell Bolingbroke, for yon me thinks he stands, that every stride he makes upon my land is dangerous treason. He has come to open the Purple Testament of Bleeding War. But here the crown he looks for live in peace. Ten thousand bloody crowns of mothers' sons shall ill become the flower of England's face, change the complexion of her maid pale peace to scarlet indignation, and bedew her pastures' grass with faithful English blood. So let's take a look at tonight's episode, The Purple Testament. <laughs>
0: infantry platoon u.s. army philippine islands 1945 these are the faces of the young men who fight as if some omniscient painter had mixed a tube of oils that were at one time earth brown dust gray blood red beard black and fear yellow white and these men were the models for this is the province of combat and these are the faces of war
1: first broadcast on the 12th of February 1950, written by Rod Serling and directed by a man who we've spoken of previously when he directed Third from the Sun, I will speak of him again because he directs another 5 episodes after this one and it is of course Richard L. Bear. Now there isn't a huge amount of trivia on this episode but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Early on we're introduced to the two main characters of the piece. Lieutenant Fitzgerald, played by William Reynolds, and Captain Phil Riker, who's played by Dick York. A group of soldiers are returning from a mission. A mission that they were sent on to capture a bridge.
0: Bad day, Liffet. Twelve wounded, four dead. All in two and a half hours. Twelve wounded, four dead. Anything special about the four? Anything special? What do you mean? Fitz, we've lost four men before, we've lost eight and ten. You seem to be taking this a little harder than usual. I just wondered if there was something special.
1: So I think immediately here, Rod Sailing's showing us that, you know, when you stack up the success of that mission against what it cost, the cost is still just too high. You know, it was a successful mission, but there's no jubilation here. Everyone's just weary, everyone's just tired and there was probably a time when, like Rod Serling was, these men might have been eager to join up, but seeing their friends die on a daily basis has obviously just brought them back to reality, I think. But there's something especially that's bothering Lieutenant Fitzgerald. Hibbert
0: Horton Morgan Levy Killed in action Luzon P.I. 13 January
1: 1945
0: So? So you want to know what's gotten into me, Phil? I wrote those names down yesterday I wrote them down before we went up. Why did you write down the names, Fitz? Well, we had a weapons check and I, I looked into their faces. And those four men, I looked into 44 faces yesterday morning. And when I got to those four, there was something special. A, a light or something. that I can't describe it to you. There isn't any description. But I looked into their faces and I knew. I knew this was
1: their last day. So is he going to see death in everyone's faces now? You know, I do wonder what, what, what it was that inspired this terrible gift that he has. I guess it was just... Perhaps the experience of actually looking into your friends faces every day and knowing that they could be dead by the end of that same day. Now the effect was actually achieved from shifting the emphasis of the lighting in the scene on the soldiers faces and then overexposing the film. So Captain Reicher believes that Lieutenant Fitzgerald is just starting to crack up and who could blame him. So he does what he thinks is best and he goes and seeks out. Lieutenant Fitzgerald's medical records to see whether there's any history of this. I think keen-eyed Twilight Zone fans out there will see that he goes to see a gentleman by the name of Captain Gunther who's played by Barney Phillips. Now Barney Phillips racked up four Twilight Zone appearances and I only actually remember him from the episode Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? He's quite a heavy set man with these big eyes and this big broad face and I always remember that image from that episode that I won't mention for anyone who hasn't seen it but those who have seen the episode will know what I'm talking about. He was also in the episode The Thing About Machines and Miniature. So as Captain Riker's in the hospital, Lieutenant Fitzgerald is actually visiting six soldiers upstairs at the time. It's only a short little scene but I do like it, he's visiting a soldier who's laid up in bed and... The gentleman who plays the soldier gives this quite nice natural performance and i think again we're reminded about how these men are living with death all the time and how sudden it can be he's dead just like that they go awful quick
0: sometimes awful quick
1: another little piece of trivia here there is a scene where lieutenant Fitzgerald kind of blows his top you know he He's probably not doing himself any favours convincing anyone he's not crazy but he has this confrontation with Captains Riker and Gunther where he just lays it all out again what he's seeing and so on and if you look in the background you'll see a set of stairs and these are the stairs that are quite recognisable as the stairs from the 16mm shrine that Ida Lupino walked down So when we get back to the camp we see that Captain Riker is just about to set off on another mission when. Lieutenant Fitzgerald sees the light on his face.
0: Now Gunther thinks you'd be better off with three weeks back at Division, I agree with him. Now this thing won't take more than a few hours, but it'll be messy.
1: Captain, you better not go.
0: Why Fitz? Yeah, It's on your face too. If you go, you won't be coming back.
1: Quite a touching little moment here when Although Riker's still resolutely saying that he'll go, he does, he does take off his wedding ring and he puts some pictures of his wife and children down on the table and, and leaves them there. So, I guess here's the big question with this episode. Had he stayed, would he have survived? Is this light something that is definite? Is it inevitable that anyone who sees it on is going to die? And... I think the answer lies in that experience that Sailing had when his friend was killed by that fallen crate. It's, it's all about the unpredictability of death, the fact that it is so sudden at times. In that situation where Melvin Levy was killed, they weren't even in combat, they were just standing around talking. We've already seen earlier on in the episode how sudden death can be with that young soldier. They were talking one minute and he was passed on the next. Same as it was with Melvin Levy. So I think to me, it is inevitable. Had had he stayed back, something would have occurred that took his life. But we'll come back to this again at the end because I think it comes into play again then too. So like I said earlier, Captain Riker was played by Dick York. Let's just stop for a second and talk about Dick York. We'll see him again in the Twilight Zone in the episode Penny for your thoughts, but I think most of us listening to this of a certain age, even a Brit like me will remember first and foremost for the comedy show Bewitched before that he was quite a, a prolific actor but even with his great success in that show he had to leave because he had problems with his back now the problem started when he was in a film with Gary Cooper called They Came to kodora and in one scene there's a group of men including York who were lifting up a car and when the director called Cut all of the men except for York dropped a car and it ended up crushing him and injuring his spine. He had such a great spirit about him that he decided to carry on working instead of going to hospital as he, as he should have done. And sadly that injury just became worse and worse as he got older. And after he was forced to leave Bewitched because of that injury he was, he was unable to keep that work going and... Later on in life, him and his wife spent the last of their life savings to buy an apartment building that they planned to live out the rest of their lives in. They would live in one apartment and rent out the rest. You know, ever the kind-hearted man that he was, when tenants found it difficult to pay the rent, having come from a poor upbringing himself, Dick York couldn't find it in his heart to evict them. So Eventually, they couldn't pay the mortgage and they lost the building, and they actually ended up making money by cleaning other people's apartments in that building, the building that they used to own. So sadly, that back injury and emphysema brought on by smoking meant that he spent the later years of his life bedridden and in a lot of pain. So it's pretty sad stuff, but, you know, again, York was a man of great spirit and he ended up raising awareness and rallying a lot of people to donate clothes and food to the homeless he'd call up friends actor friends or he'd speak to radio stations just anyone who could help before he finally died in 1992 he had actually helped thousands of homeless people improve their quality of life i guess you know it's 20 years later now and it's you know, it's a nice thought, and I hope there are some people who are living in homes now who are safe, and perhaps it was his work that gave him, gave him the boost they needed to maybe change their situation. So back to the episode, I think he had that instantly likable presence. He had a charm about him, and a certain gravity too, and a very distinctive voice as well that I like a lot. And I wouldn't usually imagine him in a military role, but I think he does just fine in this one. But sadly, Captain Riker doesn't come back from that mission, and there is one moment after that that does kind of maybe take me out of the episode a little. I think, acting wise, everyone does a fine job in this episode except perhaps one man.
0: I just thought I'd drop her on and congratulate you boys on the good job you did. Thank you, sir. All the odds fell on our side. Those guerrillas did a right-handy job on those guns, and you fellas walked right across, didn't you? Right across. That's fortunate. The Air Force must have picked off at least six or seven of those twenty-fives. Of course, those guns have been operating. That might have been the longest bridge you'd ever been on, or the shortest. Sniper fire, that's all you had, wasn't it? Yes, sir, sniper fire. Mm -hmm. We lost one man. Well, that's a pity. He was a good man. You're good friends, weren't you, Fitzgerald? So much for Mrs. Riker's lovely wedding. Seven happy years... Two fine sons. Man, war stinks.
1: I won't dwell on it too much. It is a good quality episode, I think. Um, and whereas I will criticize where I think something needs to be criticized, I don't like to dwell on it too much. But yeah, it's just this strange kind of mumbling performance. And then he tries to have this moment at the end where he, he curses the war, but he just can't pull it off. You know, it's one scene. It's not a deal breaker. And it's soon after that, Lieutenant Fitzgerald sees his own reflection in a mirror and he sees that light on his own face. And he knows that his time's going to be over soon as well. Lieutenant, well, we'll you, you may
0: as well get comfortable. I guess we got about a four hour ride ahead of us.
1: Do we? I doubt it. So like we said earlier, had he stayed, would he have escaped, and again I don't think he would, it was it was that drive that was supposed to take him away from the war, take him out of danger, take him to safety, but again, that element of the unexpected comes into play and sadly, he never made it. Now the actor William Reynolds took the part of Fitzgerald after Dean Stockwell had to drop out and wasn't able to make it. Now Dean Stockwell will come back to the Twilight Zone in the future, so we'll talk about him again. But this is Reynolds' show because I think he he acquits himself very well. He was, like I say, he was a last minute replacement and he said that he wasn't able to bring the kind of subtext that he might have ordinarily prepared for the role had he had the time, but he doesn't think it was necessarily a bad thing because he just went out there and he did it. And I think he did it very well, I think it's a very intense performance, the times when he's just, you know, simmering under the surface And you can see it, especially that intensity in his eyes, and that's never more noticeable than in that final scene I really like that moment when he knows that he's heading towards death, he doesn't fight it, he doesn't panic and he just has this look on his face that i can't really describe but it's part acceptance part perhaps amusement at the irony of the situation that he's he's getting in that jeep to to go to safety and he knows that he's going to die you know there's a lot of there are a few ways you can read that but i think it's a it's a great end to a, a good performance but there is one final story that william reynolds tells on the dvd and The director Richard Baer talks about it in the Twilight Zone Companion and it occurred on the night that the episode was going to air and Richard Baer said The evening that it was to be aired, first run Bill Reynolds and I were in the middle of the Caribbean swimming for our lives with three broken legs between the two of us and it turns out that they were actually in a a plane crash, a small plane that they were in taking them to or from a, a a filming assignment actually crashed into the water killing one of the passengers And then he continues, We were four miles off the coast of Jamaica, swimming on our backs towards shore, about 40 feet apart, when I yelled over to Bill and said, Bill, how are you doing? He answered, I'm making it. A little later I called over again, You know what's playing tonight, he said? Yeah, the Purple Testament. And I said, Bill, please don't look at me. And then William Reynolds went on to say, Buck Houghton took the show off the air that night because I didn't know whether I was a survivor or not from the first news reports, but I thought it was indicative of the class of that production company, that they not only did not make capital of the fact, which might have been the obvious thing to do, but they took the show off the air. I was pleased that they didn't subject my family to that. Now there is a novelisation of the episode by Walter Gibson that, not really worth touching on to be honest, it pretty much treads the same path, like some of those stories have little twists and turns of their own, but not this time, it's pretty literal, so you know, worth looking for if you want, but not necessarily essential I don't think. Now I think it's obvious that I personally like this episode a lot, but there was some criticism at the time. The Hollywood Reporter wrote, Writer and narrator Rod Serling, celebrating the announcement that the series he had created had been picked up for another 52 weeks by his non-censoring sponsors General Foods and Kimberly Clark, scripted a quickie about a battle-fatigued lieutenant who gets premonitions of death. As polished as ever, this segment directed by Richard L. Bear contained fewer surprises than expected, and the cast was successful neither in creating the illusion of reality, nor the delusions of unreality a little harsh, and apparently one of the viewers actually agreed with him. Sailing received a letter from a gentleman called Loring Fisk, and it said, This is the poorest excuse for a story I've seen in months. And then he went on to suggest that he should have called the episode, Much Do About Nothing. And in reply Rod Sailing said, I regret we were unable to please. Of the several hundred letters received commemorative on the Purple Testament, Yours was in the distinct minority, though I must say, none of the other letters pro or con came even remotely close to the hysteria of yours. Why not Robert Taylors the Detectives? They're on at the same time and I rather imagine they would please you more. But like I say, I have to disagree, especially with the first one where he's talking about that they they didn't manage to create a sense of reality I like the episode a great deal and I think knowing what we know about Sailing and his time in the war it just enriches the whole thing but if you look at the episode itself it's obvious they're the filming this on a set it doesn't look like they're actually out there in in the open but, but it doesn't really matter to me I think it's the people that sell it that, that weariness, that fatigue that we spoke of you know, they're tired of fighting they're weary of the conditions and they're sick of seeing their friends dying every day. So in that respect, I do think it was a success. You know, Rod Sailing went into war enthusiastic, eager to make a difference, and he came out with a, a disdain for war, but a great respect for the soldiers that fight in it. And I think this episode is really a testament to that.
0: From William Shakespeare, Richard III, a small excerpt. The line reads, he has come to open the Purple Testament of Bleeding War. And for Lieutenant William Fitzgerald A Company, 1st Platoon, the Testament is closed. Lieutenant Fitzgerald has found the Twilight Zone.
1: A couple of announcements to make, but before I do that, I'd like to give thanks to an iTunes review that is over in the States, and it's from... Someone called Cousin Orville and I, you know, I always appreciate these reviews. It helps get the podcast noticed and I just really appreciate people taking the time to do that. But this one especially, I like them all, but this one especially I found quite touching. So thank you, Cousin Orville. I I really appreciate that review. I have mentioned in the past about fitting in a kind of feedback section into the podcast and I'll put it out there now and we'll see how it goes we'll see what kind of response i get you know these things don't happen overnight i am a podcast listener myself and i would imagine of the podcasts i listen to i only actually communicate with a very small minority of those most of the time i'm just content to listen and that's fine i'm i'm happy for anyone to do that but if you if you do like to get involved with a podcast and maybe put your own thoughts in then I'll be doing this listener feedback section that I'll be calling submitted for your approval so if you'd like to comment on any of the past episodes maybe or the episode that we'll be discussing in the next podcast for example next time we'll be discussing elegy. so if you want to make any comments about that then just send me an email and in the header section put Submitted for your approval and then I'll know that it's actually meant to go in the podcast because people, you know, email me on a regular basis just to say hi, just to say thanks for doing the podcast, which is great. So so I love getting emails like that, but if you specifically send me something for the podcast, just put submitted for your approval in the heading and I'll know that that's what it's for. There is a new email address for the podcast and that is tom at network.com which I guess leads on to my other announcement. Some of you will already have seen our new website. It's got a new domain name. The old domain name, dimensionxradio.com will point to this new one now, so so there's no worries there, but the proper domain name is the twilightzonenetwork.com and Chris and I decided that there was a gap on the internet for the kind of site, Twilight Zone, Rod Sailing, Night Gallery site that we would like to see. And that's not to diminish what anyone else is doing out there. There's some great Twilight Zone sites out there, so that's so that's not what it's about at all. It's more like it's more about creating a site that we would like to see. I would say our main focus is still the podcasts, trying to get those out on a regular basis, but occasionally we're gonna be adding content to this site as well. That's gonna be things like reviewing the audio plays, it's gonna be things like I've got a shelf full of Twilight Zone books here that I seem to have amassed of short stories and so on that have been published since the show ended. Things like that, you know, broadening the scope. You know, we're both quite excited about that and we'll be putting new stories on there as well when they occur. So go and check it out, network.com and we, we hope you enjoy it. And I need to give great thanks to the guy who's put that together for us. That's the artist Dark Ink one And you can check out his work at darkink.com but he's worked tirelessly putting this together. All the artwork is newly created by him so it has a really... It has a really modern feel to it, but it's also really in the spirit of the Twilight Zone 2, which I think is his great success and his vision. So I want to thank him for that, and I can't thank him enough. I think it looks fantastic, and I think you'll agree. So so thank you, Dark Ink 1. And yeah, like I say, come and check out the new website, and then come and join me next week for the next episode. Elegy. Bye-bye.